Welcome to another episode of Up To. Nine years ago, Up To started as a live event series showcasing leaders who are as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is extremely important as we identify leaders who can inspire others. We try to focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives, and in doing so, have found there is a real thirst to explore their hearts and minds in atypical ways. Our host, as always, is Adam Kaufman. And on this episode, we are joined by Dr. Mark Tager. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back. During the first season of the Up2 podcast, I had several companies and entrepreneurs approach me about potential partnerships, but I'm really selective before choosing to do something like that. One choice we did make happily is to partner with Vivid Front, a full service digital marketing and website design agency based in Cleveland that works with both local and national brands. They've built their entire client base on referrals and they've won a lot of awards, including the 2019 Inc. Magazine Top 5,000 Fastest Growing Companies, North Coast's Top Places to Work, and several others. They're known for their talent, they're known for their creativity, they're known for their culture, a firm I liked before we agreed to partner together for the show. Check out vividfront.com, or you can email me and I'll introduce you to their dynamic leader, Andrew Spott. Welcome back. You are listening to the Up To Podcast with host Adam Kaufman. Today's guest is Dr. Mark Tager. Mark Tager flew to be with us today from lovely San Diego, California. I think it was his first flight since COVID. We're so grateful he's here. He is the author of 10 books and has given more than 1,000 presentations worldwide. Wow. After his undergraduate years at Duke University, Dr. Tager also attended Duke Medical School, currently ranked one of the top three medical schools in the U.S. His early career in patient care out west was with Kaiser Permanente, a somewhat traditional start to his medical career. But given his immensely creative mind, which we're going to delve into today, Mark set out on a professional journey that has been anything but traditional. He founded a publishing company, which he successfully sold to a large corporation. He has helped launch medical devices and cosmeceuticals globally, and he is considered a national expert in anti-aging, in integrative and regenerative medicine, and in helping physicians become better at their own practice and presence. He's written about managing stress, personality types, and leading through change. His latest book, titled Feed Your Skin Right, Your Personal Prescription for Radiant Beauty, will be available this fall all while being a doting husband and the father of two super successful and wonderful children. In summary, he is simply one of the most creative and well-rounded human beings I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. He has taught me so much, and he continues to help me strive to be, frankly, the best possible version of myself. Mark Tager, welcome to Up To. Thank you so much, Adam. It's just great to spend this time with you. We haven't seen each other in so long. Too long. Well, what have you been up to? Well, I've been up to doing a lot in the area of personalized nutrition, uh, working with a group called the American Nutrition Association, creating a training program. And I've been working on my book because uh, I'm home, the, the computer's there. And, uh, and you're addicted to writing books. I like writing. I like for, for a few reasons. One, you can do it when it's quiet. No one bothers you. I get up early in the morning. The second thing is once you've written about something, it's it's embedded into your brain 
the model. You can always pull it out and discuss what you've written intelligently because you've written about it. You're also not just writing right now. You created a massive garden on your property. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. Yes, uh, that has been the one blessing of, of COVID, I think. That and my uh, little puppy uh, just stays with me all the time. But I, I have been enjoying getting out in the garden. Last night, you told me you're now reinventing yourself. And so part of that could be this new you in gardening, which we've never <laughs> talked about before. But you know, what did you mean by reinventing yourself? You feel like it's time to kind of disrupt your routine a little bit and uh, the industries you play around. And you, you do so many different things, and we're going to delve into that. But why, why the reinvention right now? Well, I've never thought that it had to be just one thing. And I find my joy in taking elements and putting them together in a synergistic fashion. So one plus one plus one equals ten. Mm -hmm. And Right now, I'm, I'm so fascinated with this concept of personalized nutrition, how there's no one else on the planet with the same genes, the same environment, uh, the same diet as you. So we need to begin to prescribe for our patients, and people need to follow a regimen that is right for them, mm -hmm. right for their genes, right for their microbiome, mm -hmm. right for their culture and behavior. Mm. So what do you think this new reinvention, I mean, it's just a form of your creativity. It'd be easier for you to continue down the path you're already on and to not write the next book and to not probably learn more and share more about this personalized nutrition. Where do you think the creativity in you comes from? Were you extremely creative as a youngster? Or is this something professionally you just try to be creative? Because you are one of the most creative human beings I've ever been around. You know, we're dealt a hand of cards when we're young. And uh, I talk about this in one of the books that I know I mentioned you in. It's uh, Transforming Stress into Power. And you're dealt this hand of cards, and you have these unique sort of skills and preferences in how you look at the world. And so I was sort of gifted with the idea looking at the world through the creative lens mm -hmm. and then evaluating things logically. And so my mind immediately jumps to that creative mind space. Uh, and I look to put things together in a unique fashion, unique way. Look, everything has been said in, the, in other books. So there's, there's very little that's really breakthrough new. Mm. What's important is how you put it together and then the recognition that your synthesis, the way you put those words and ideas and phrases together, may be just the way that lights up hmm. a unique possibility in the minds and hearts of others. Let me uh, have us take a step back, some context. So early in your career, you're out of Duke, you're on the West Coast, you're, you're in a medical practice business. Was that a huge decision to leave what I'm calling traditional medicine, or was that like a, a goal all along? Like, can you, because a lot of people, they hesitate when they're deciding to make a change. So can you walk us through that whole process? There are turning points in life, uh, moments of epiphany, moments where you just realize that you can't keep going down the same path. And uh, I had that when I was out in Oregon. I did my, uh, did family practice out there. I thought to myself, if I were sick, what would I really want from my doctor? Mm. 
Hmm. I would want to go and buy an hour of a doctor's time. This is 1977, hmm. I'll have you know. And I would want to have classes and workshops and education. So I set up the Institute of Pre Preventive Medicine in Back Portland, then, Oregon. Back then, people couldn't buy an hour no, of a doctor's it, this time. Was, this was revolution. And, and we had a team of, of, of healers and uh, naturopaths. Uh, we had another physician, a marriage and family therapist. We had a nutritionist. And we taught classes there, too. We had this big old mansion that we rented. Mm. And I taught Monday night yoga. Mm. Now, the yoga was really for me because <laughs> I needed the reinforcement, the remembrance. Mm -hmm. But it was so wonderful to be able to have a patient, to sit with them for an hour, to go over their, their data, their information, send them into the cooking class, send mm. them into the yoga class, have them work with a ma marriage and family therapist. So a lot of that's more common now than it was yes, in 77. Yes, so you were was, kind of on the cutting edge. Yeah, then. and that was my, my first book was called Whole Person Healthcare. And I wrote that, I spent a year going around the Pacific Northwest looking at quote-unquote alternative, but really we talk about it now as complementary mm -hmm, healing techniques. Mm -hmm. And it was just fascinating the many approaches we have. You know, the perspective you now hold is just one of so many you could hold. And in medicine, we go down this, this path, this dogmatic path, and there's one study that's showed that it takes 17 years sometimes for a new idea to make it into clinical practice. So it's a long process. It's a long process, to say the least. Was it a long process for you to then take another leap, another reinvention? You spoke passionately about this complementary medicine scenario you created, but then you totally left practicing medicine, right? And you went into the kind of the business of medicine and marketing medical things. Devices, well, I, yeah, programs. I, I Was established that a big my publishing and training company with with the sense that what I realized early on was that I was a better communicator one to many than one to one. And then if you recognize that that's a gift, I mean that is a gift, then you start honing those skills. So you hone the skills of organizing messages. You hone the skill of being able to present messages. You hone the skill of being able to pull and draw from people the kind of information, the kind of... Yeah, I like drawing information from people. That's I, why I, I sit here and, and you listen. Are, and you, Adam, <laughs> you are a master. So I, That's I my did, secret. I just give people... I interrupted you, but my secret is I just give people room to talk, and people think I'm a great listener, but I just keep my mouth shut. I'll do that right now, ironically. Our uh, producer's so, laughing over here. So, <laughs> so I've got a, a pretty extensive training background also. But, but I want to yeah. really hone in on the decision to leave that. I know you're qualified and yeah. good at that, but people often, they freeze when they have this new opportunity, this why in the road, or maybe it's like a God-given um, inclination to jump, or it's more of a trait that they're conservative and they don't want to take a chance. But you, you leapt, you leaped. Yeah, I've always been a bit of a risk taker, and I think what sustains me in that is this knowledge and sense that, you know, I look at life as having a big basket. I go to the garden and I start picking my greens. Your own garden. Well, if you think about that as as your life pursuit, what you do is you acquire and cut, clip, transferable skills. Hmm. So you learn the skill of presentation here. You learn the skill of writing. You learn the skill of video production, video editing. You learn the skill of training exercises. And all of these skills 
when they mount up, they give you confidence that you could make the next leap mm -hmm. because you've got a, a basket full mm -hmm. of goodies. More that tools in the toolbox. You. I kind of exactly, describe it that way. Exactly. You don't use every tool in every scenario, but the more tools you have, the, the greater better you're you can confident. Be. You yeah, have yeah. more confidence. And right. you know, you look at the at, at its confidence, and then it's it's first competence, mm -hmm. and then confidence and commitment. Mm -hmm. So you know, at first. You may not have the greatest competence, but you learn that and grow with that over time. I mean, you are a better interviewer today than you were 15 years ago when we first met. Thank you. Uh, still improving for sure. But you just brought up like learning a new skill. And I remember years ago, you told my wife and I both that you felt like you didn't have a lot of empathy. And one of your books is about personality profiles, and I actually brought it today because it's probably my favorite of your books, uh, Transforming Stress into Power. I love this book. Yeah. And I don't know if I believe it, but you said that you felt about yourself that you lacked empathy, so you decided you had to work on that. So whether or not it's empathy for someone else, how can people really work on a personality yes. trait? Uh, my wife has been uh, teaching me empathy for 35 years now. Uh, so we, and we, humility. <laughs> right? Absolutely. So I, I mentioned that we were dealt a hand of cards. Now, you have two children. I have two children. And which would you say is, is the case? Mm -hmm. well, you have, uh, three children, actually. <laughs> Excuse me. You have three children. Which would you say is the case? Would you say, oh, my kids are all so much alike. I have to treat them the same way. What stresses one stresses all the others. Or would you say, your kids, wait a minute, why are they so different? Mm -hmm. Why are they so unique? So these early traits, uh, preferences I call them, are hardwired into us by about age five. Hmm. When you look at your kid about age five, you know what you got. And you know that what, that you have to communicate with them in a certain way. What stresses one stress doesn't stress the other. So you've got your gifts. You've got your innate energies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've got a profile called the power source profile. And then you've also got to work on your weaknesses. Your weak so energies. I'm going to interrupt there. You just said it so quickly. You, we have a profile. You created your own personality profile system. Yes. That's in and of itself a <laughs> massive conversation path. It's been translated in a number of languages. And what it is is... Uh, so it's so, not DISC. It's different no, from it's, it's, Enneagram. Yes, it's, it's called the power source profile. And, yeah. and the emphasis here is that, you know, again, I'm a clinician at heart. And when I see two patients who have the same stressors, why is it that one falls apart hmm. and the other seems to grow and thrive on, on that challenge? So there are unique personality traits that are hardwired into us, these profiles, mm -hmm. that determine why something stresses us. So what stresses a person who's very empathetic doesn't really stress, who my son, for example, doesn't stress my daughter who's highly logical and analytical. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we create that profile based upon that. So for yourself, you discovered that you felt you lacked empathy. So then maybe there's practices you could try to put into place to increase your own empathy? The first thing I realized in business was I had to hire someone who was both grounded and empathetic to be my personal... Uh, you had to hire a counterpart. A, a counterpart. Yeah. Because I would be in a meeting sometimes and I wouldn't know how my words and thoughts were affecting the feelings of others. It was. It's easy to... Whew, 
I'm just recalling, and, and Todd here will laugh, but I just asked you before we started, do you remember this time when blah, blah, blah? And you're like, no. And that, like, hurt my feelings. <laughs> because I was in another space there thinking about something but else. But that was lacking of empathy. Th that was. I should have said, Adam, You need to work on it some more. I should. So people who are highly logical, and I, I am a highly logical kind of individual, T to learn empathy, we do it a different way. What comes so naturally for people who are highly empathetic, and this is not just a male-female thing. Sure. My, my son is a highly empathetic. My mm -hmm. daughter isn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we do it a different way. We sort of try to step back and say, okay, what is it that I think she or he is feeling? And then we say, we make a, an attempt. Mm. We say, huh, so you said you're, you're, you're feeling hurt? Now, you get points for that, mm. <laughs> and you may not be right, but you get points. And they say, no, I, it wasn't that I was hurt. I was really angry. Mm. Oh, great, we get it. So we, we come to empathy in a different kind of way. It's, it's, not that, it's not the first step. It's the second step. We have to approach it more logically. Makes sense. I, I've also been very fond of how you focused on resilience, another character trait over the years. You've done it in books, in speeches, just in our conversations. And in my world of venture capital, resilience, I think, is the number one attribute of an early stage entrepreneur because she or he has to like roll with the punches or respond to market conditions, uh, deal with a lot of no's, and then come back from that. So why do you think resilience is so important? And it isn't talked about as much as some of the other kind of character traits, but you, you focused on resilience early on. So much of our growth comes in those moments where we quote unquote fail, mm -hmm. where we quote unquote have the big problem. And the ability to A, learn from that, and B, adapt and look at that as an opportunity. I mean, what I remember most are the things in in my life where I, I've not been successful. And that's been the impetus to improve, to impetus to grow. You know, in, in, in medicine, what happens is a lot of the teaching is around the moment where you, you didn't get the right diagnosis mm -hmm. and you, you didn't order the right test. And you really learn and grow from that. So in that process, we know we're never perfect, but we do the best we can to move along. And I, I, I really, People who are resilient have faith, mm -hmm. have faith in themselves and have faith in a, a larger power. They tend to be optimists. Mm -hmm. uh, they tend to be able to put, uh, to close the book. Now, for example, in medical school and training, there's always more to learn. There's always more to do. So at some point, you've got to close the book hmm. and, and let things go. This process of letting go is, is a tough one for a lot of people. Um, but you've got that, you learn from it and also let it go. And anything that you can do to have a letting go practice, I mean, whether it's meditation or going out running or working out, prayer, or prayer uh, all of that is, is so important to the, the foundation for resilience. You mentioned some of your clearest memories are failures of yours. Could you share an example of that, maybe what you learned from that or how you reacted to that? I call this like navigating curves in the road. I often ask people, oh, how do you navigate a, curves I've, in the road? I've got a, such a funny story to tell you. And I, um, so 
I had my small little company called Great Performance, and we'd gotten this deal with a cruise ship line, and we had to create a brochure. And I had my graphic designer, who is a graphic designer. They don't see words as words. They see words as images. And she was going through a very difficult period of time. Uh, she was getting divorced from her husband. She was angry. And we printed up 25,000 beautiful, glossy brochures. And uh, I, I checked everything, but I didn't check the last thing, which was, you know, she said, look, I just want to put a little sticker on the front, a fake sticker, and say, if, if you like this offer, tear this off. Well, tear this off. Unfortunately, she left the T off uh, of tear this off. So it, it was tear his off. And it, <laughs> now I don't know where that came from. I knew she was angry at her husband. But that did they get distributed? Yeah, uh, no, it got caught. Oh, but it good. was a, it was an enormous for me at that time in a <laughs> small company. I had to redo the whole thing. It was enormous, enormous. Uh, how did you react, or how did you um, uh, deal with that? If you could honestly you look know, backwards, at I I was upset. Mm -hmm. I was upset because it was a big blow at that time. A lot of money. A lot of yeah. you know. It would have been such it's an embarrassment had yeah. it gone out. Right. So it was caught early, but it just did teach me to check, double check, recheck. I want to be the last set of eyes on anything that's mm -hmm. important, mm -hmm. and that's it's not my nature. I don't like to do that very grounding detail this is why when in writing i always in, uh, have people print things out and the last copy they read should be a, a printed copy because you just you mark it up you can see it better mm. our eyes tend to just sort of go very quickly over that computer screen there's something really nice and grounded and tangible and for editing print it out go to a different space don't sit at your desk go someplace else a brand new fresh environment and read over your work. You know what somebody taught me early on? Because, yeah, reading your own work, sometimes you, you mentally finish a sentence, and that's not great. So I actually read sentences in the reverse order, huh. not back of the sentence to front, but like wow. last sentence of the paragraph first, kind of break up the thought. Interesting. That's, I've caught a lot of my mistakes yeah. over the years, so just the, another, another the, trick. This whole concept of messaging and how do we get our messages across? And mm -hmm. uh, So, you know, one of my... My favorite books and the training that I do is built uh, built on Enhance Your Presence, uh, which is a book I did with Robert John Hughes. And, you know, we train, we train a lot of CEOs and healthcare professionals to be better communicators. And, you know, it, it is a skill. It is a skill you can learn. Uh, we've taken people who have who have great fear and anxiety and hate the way they look on camera, for That's example. good. It's a learned skill because it's, learned it's skill. like one of the biggest fears of people is to speak in front of others, right? Yeah. So I, there was a mantra that I was taught years ago. Four sayings that I, I say to myself before I do any performance. And um, here they go. Uh, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad you're here. I know what I know, and I care about you. And I've said this to myself a thousand times. All that's least. true today. Yeah, I'm glad I'm here. Hey, it's great to be with my good buddy. I, mean, I haven't seen you in so long. It's right. wonderful. Uh, so I'm glad, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad you're here. Now, this is the interesting thing. I know what I know. And for many of us, this is the imposter syndrome. Wait, what, what, Definitely. You know, I've gotten up and talked in medical conferences 
where people know so much more. They spent their whole life researching something that I'm glossing and you're over. You're like feeling like a fraud. What am I doing here? And then you turn that around and you say, my synthesis, the way I put something together, might just light up that possibility in the minds and hearts of others. And I care about you, so I'm not going to bore you. We're going to move on. Going to be uh, punctual. Punctual. I know you uh, care a lot about that. Absolutely. And and if I'm doing a live uh, workshop, if I see three yawns, we get the whole group up and we do an interactive exercise. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I want to switch gears a little bit, Mark. We, um, over the years, have talked about so many different topics that you are identifying trends before I've heard about them or before they're genuine like accepted practices or companies or ideas in the marketplace when we first met we were at a corporate retreat in mexico and a board member brought you as a facilitator of this uh session and it's a really high-powered group of uh, board members and in that moment you were a stranger to me and so i was kind of like checking you out see what this guy mark brings to the table and you started telling us about this platform that kids were using at the top schools and it was called Facebook and I hadn't heard of that at the time you're laughing right now because you didn't know I was gonna bring this up yeah. but that was in 2006 and so I looked up today preparing for this session Facebook was only founded in 2004 so like very early you're like saying oh yeah my son's at Duke and my daughter's USC and they're talking about this thing like that's just one example but how do you find these cutting-edge like, what do you read or who do you talk to to identify stem cells before it's popular or Facebook before I know about it? So it's a I, real gift, viewers. I look at myself as being the Adam Kaufman of healthcare. Oh, my gosh. So what I do is I— Lord help you. <laughs> Todd, you're not allowed to laugh. I, I, I ask a lot of questions to a lot of people who are a lot smarter than I am. Hmm. And I basically listen. So I do a lot of video production, for example, and training courses. And in that process, I am really privileged. I get to talk to some of the world's smartest scientists. And so you seek out these I, knowledge I seek, creators. I seek, yes. Yeah, and I, I also run some conferences and participate in conferences. So, so I, I'm exposed to, to uh, groups that really have some great ideas. And San Diego is really a, a mecca for gene Innovation sequencing and, yeah. and microbiome and incubation of, of cools companies that. for sure so it's just trying to stay vital and alive and connected you know i i uh my doctorate scripts uh they they make you retire at age 70 and he'd been my doctor for 25 years mm. and i asked him i said what's it going to be like when when you retire he said mark the biggest challenge for me is to stay relevant mm -hmm. so you want to stay relevant engaged creative, uh, for me creative, and pliable. I mean, th this concept of, of rigidity and a fixed approach to things, it just doesn't work well in environments that are changing so rapidly. You're listening to the Up To Podcast. We'll be right back. I'm grateful that Calfi, Halter, and Griswold has agreed to once again partner with us. With offices in Ohio and Washington, D.C., this full-service national law firm focuses on all aspects of business and the law, including corporate and finance, intellectual property, and government relations. Let me be clear. I actually approach companies with whom I would like to partner. We don't just accept marketing dollars from anyone who wants to be a partner. 
I've been referring my CEO and entrepreneur friends to Calfee for years. I believe in them. One of their notable practice areas is in mergers and acquisitions. Recently, I introduced a successful entrepreneur in the Midwest to Calfee as a European-based conglomerate wanted to buy his business. Calfee works with large corporations as well as privately held companies throughout the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Asia. So whether it's selling your own business or the more routine needs of creating your first will or anything in between, this firm can really do it all in terms of legal needs. Once again, the firm is Calfee, Halter, and Griswold, and you can find them at calfee.com or on the UpTo Foundation website. Welcome back. You're listening to the UpTo Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Mark Tager. So you told me about Facebook early on. You were writing a book and working with a company in stem cell work long before it was commonly talked about. What are some new trends now or some, maybe not trends yet, but some interesting aspects of medicine or, or beyond medicine that are captivating your attention right now? Yeah, I, I think... Um, and hopefully hair loss prevention is one of the answers. <laughs> well, th there are some answers to hair loss prevention, but we got stuck. For us, it, it's too late. Yeah. I, I just... Uh, but there are actually some nutraceuticals, uh, some good clinical What are you most studies. excited about, nutraceuticals? Well, I, I'm excited about personalized nutrition. I'm excited about uh, bring, helping us understand the science and, and the application of it. Okay. So, you know, as you know, I've, and clinically, I've got two interests. One is integrative medicine. The other is aesthetics. So I was the chief marketing officer founding uh, the, the Fraxel Laser. Mm -hmm. and I, I had spent about 12 years in the aesthetic industry. And that's something plastic surgeons use? Dermatologists, Dermatologists. plastic surgeons, okay. cosmetic doctors. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's a great device for keeping your skin youthful and uh, sort of revolutionized the way we approach uh, the, treating the skin mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. skin rejuvenation. So I, I'm always excited to, to put one plus one to plus one together and make it 10. So I, I just keep seeking things out. And, and here's the other thing. I, I ask people, we, we all get our ideas from out of the blue, right? You get your ideas from out of the blue. Definitely. Okay. I usually get the ideas when I'm in your town, like jogging, and that's my most Thank creative you. times. So I'm, at the, I'm giving a talk at, uh, uh, in Texas, uh, the university there, medical center. I have a thousand people stand up and say, look, when I tell you where you get your great ideas from, please sit down. You're exercising, you're jogging, you're going to and from school, hmm. uh, to and from work. You are uh, um, showering, shaving, you're in the bathroom in the morning, or right before you go to sleep, or right when you wake up. Usually it's not at your desk working. There was one person left standing out of a thousand people. I said, well, where do you get your ideas? She said, work. That's very unusual. It's got to be. Very unusual. Yeah. You need, your brain needs that downtime to process. And, and that's why brainstorming. Brainstorming is a very brain-unfriendly activity as is practiced mostly today. Oh, that's interesting because you're forced you to know, think. Get your butts in here. It's 9 o'clock. We're going to sit around. We're going to brainstorm. Hmm. And, and then you, I just don't think that that's when people have their best ideas. The best ideas come when you, you data dump and then you allow time for ideas to percolate. Hmm. And then you bring people back to sort of, you know, 
you thought about it, you ruminated on it, you were out running, this idea came to you, you were shaving this morning. One of my favorite entrepreneurs, uh, Charu Ramanathan, I don't know if you met her, but she's been on the podcast and she's been at our Up To events, but she and her co-founder, they take walks together. And I think being in nature more so during COVID, that's when they have their best brainstorming. Going back to our personality concept, when you have certain individuals with certain personality energy types, when they're in situations in stress and change, they need different things from leaders. Mm -hmm. So for example, when you've got a highly creative person who actually who could be relationship oriented, who they awfulize, you know, they, their creativity runs amok. Uh, <laughs> awfulize, they, uh, it's funny. And, and what you do with them is you take them out and you walk and talk. Now, why do you walk and talk? Because the simple act of putting one foot in front of the other is a grounding activity. Mm. Now, look, when you exercise, it's good for your heart, it's good for your vascular system, et cetera, for your muscles, but it's also really a form of grounding. You were putting, this morning you were on the treadmill, you were just putting one foot in front of the other foot, Mm -hmm. and it, it grounds you for your day. So people need, people in times of stress and change need different things from you. Highly empathetic people need you, that's when you need the empathy. So this goes back to the personality yes, profiling importance yes. is if, if you're the leader of a small team or a big corporation, the more you know about your internal customers, your coworkers, and how they need your leadership to be delivered, the better. You need to have the flexibility in your leadership style to speak in a language that is valid and true for the recipient, hmm. not for you. Right. So you're delivering these messages so they will be well received by the other person and going through their filters of what's important to them. A grounding person is chaos. Joan, today there's just one thing you've got to get done, just one thing. Joan goes, oh, just one thing. I love you, Dr. Taylor. You're the best Mm -hmm, boss I've mm -hmm. ever had. You've got a highly creative person. Walk and talk. We're going to need your creativity to come up with solutions. Logic people. Yeah, I know this doesn't make sense to you right now, because logic people, this doesn't make sense. Different messaging for the motivations. I remember when I was responsible for a a, a sales team, and the 10 salesmen had 10 different personalities. Now, I didn't know about your personality profile system, but I knew one, one of the fellows, I needed to really stroke his ego to get him to sell more. Another, I had to just stay away, let him do his thing. Another person, you kind of hold their hand along the way. So that's kind of what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it, it, it's trying to give the other person what they need to help them move forward. Mm. Um, and, and that has to do with a flexible leadership style. You know, I mentioned your ability to identify trends. You're, you're being modest and humble that you just like to talk to smart people and get exposed to things. But then still, you have to have the talent to know, well, what is actually going to have some staying power? What is the new trend going to be? That must, you're curating that. So I have another example. Before COVID, you told me you were starting this company that you're going to teach people how to present better and uh, specifically doctors and how they're going to give speeches better and uh, market their own practices better. And that was before COVID. So once again, you were like perfectly positioned (laughs) because now all these doctors for the past year and a half, I'm saying, I got to do marketing. I got to deal with patients. I'm horrible on camera. I mean, a brilliant 
it's sad. It's like a silver lining of the COVID year and a half, but you were perfectly positioned. So yet again, two, st- <laughs> Thank you. two statements. The first is something I've been saying for 10 years. The best way to grow your business is to enhance your presence. Mm. Okay. And now the corollary comes. And in today's world, the best way to enhance your presence is through video. So you have moved the podcast to video. Why is that? Because it allows people to project authenticity, to tell their stories, for the viewer to relate. Now, the problem you have is so many, many people hate the way they look on camera. Pretty much everybody, including myself. (laughs) It's human nature. It's human nature. All you can see are your flaws and uh, problems. But if you realize that you are just there to deliver that message, to be as authentic and real as possible, that's what comes across. And that's what's important. So we teach people that. We teach them to organize their message, to hook the reader's attention. And you've been doing a ton of that now with video only, not even meeting with the people in person. Exactly. Do you think that'll continue or will it be a return to more in-person training? Well, it's going to be be hybrid. I I think come 2022, I I work with a lot of conferences, and we will see a a rebound of people wanting to press the flesh. For sure. the problem with, with Zoom and the problem with all these conferences is the presenter just doesn't get that feedback. Y- you know, you don't you don't see that, sense that audience. And, yeah, if everyone's uh, on mute especially, yeah, and and let alone if you they don't, don't get show the their face. And, and you don't get the people coming up right. to you afterwards. Right. So it, it really does dilute the experience. And you're also down to two senses. You're down to what you see, what people see, and what they hear. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes so important to work on your voice as well. Mm-hmm. So you've got to learn to project caring. We've you've mentioned these trends. Excitement. Sorry, yeah. Mark, that uh, I've mentioned the stem cells, Facebook, um, your focus on presence and presenting via video. But you also have to decide to not pursue things. So one of the things you taught me years ago is to do multiple things at once rather than just working for one company. We also are stimulated by opportunities that we maybe pass on. So, like, can you talk a little bit about how you decide what you're going to pursue, what opportunity you're going to say no thank you to, and have you maybe learned from saying yes too many times? (laughs) Uh, The first point is I've got to have passion for whatever it is that we're doing. And I've got to know that this project can move the needle and if it can't be a big global success, can it light up possibilities in the minds and hearts of others? Because mm. I think the, the ability to create and light up possibilities is so important. Now, after I sort of filter that out, then I'm down to my three Fs. Okay, so you do have like a personal plan, the sure. three Fs. Some sure. do, some don't. So I like that. Keep going. Yeah, three Fs. Fit, fun, finances in that order. Is it, is it a good fit for your skills? Is it a good fit my skill set? Yeah. Will I be able to make a difference? Will I be able to contribute? Okay, really important, mm-hmm. fun. Are these people, this team, this group, are they going to be fun to work like with? Coming to do the podcast, will that be fun? Yes, it, it will. Yeah, 
<laughs> Absolutely. And the last thing is really the finances. Now, I, I realize that people economically may need to flip that around. These, for some people, can be desperate times. And right. They've got to do stuff. Take the business, right. Get the business. You're not passionate about it, but it will help move you to something that maybe you will be passionate about. The problem is you just don't want to get stuck in a place where you're not passionate about the work that you do. That's what I, f I find anyway. Passion is important. And then fit, fun, finances. Does that change over time? Like you said, maybe early on when somebody's really hustling just to take the business and get some revenue, maybe after some success over the years or decades, you can move fun up the kind of priority measurement or? I, I think it depends on individual circumstance right, right. for sure. But for me, the having a, a, a group of of really great people to work with, that takes so much of the load off. You know, younger people today, my, my son's a millennial, and, and they're trained to work in groups, and, and it, he, that's what they miss the most uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, they're still doing it, obviously, in meetings and Zooms, but, but, but there's less walk down the hall, and what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. Let's get Jill in here, and let's brains. Let's kick this idea around a little bit. And, uh, Your son's a Harvard Law School grad. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. You mean you're being modest? I mean, you've raised two very successful kids. Let's talk about that a little bit, actually, since you brought it up, um, your son in this instance. Do you think that, um, from a parenting standpoint, a child's success is more like nature or nurture? Like when you look at your two wonderful children, who I've been fortunate enough to get to know. I mean, they're really doing well in their various pursuits of life. Is that all God-given, or can you take some credit for that? <laughs> I'll give the credit to my wife, actually. Yeah, absolutely. To Carol. Good but, answer. <laughs> in case she listens right, to this. Right, right, right. Honey, hi, honey. Right. Uh, we sort of knew who they were when they were young, mm. and you got to see how they process information and how they bring information into their world. Uh, my daughter is a grounded, logic in individual. She likes to do one thing at a time. She, she, she knew from an early age, oh, that's daddy's towel. Um, and my son is, is highly creative and you know, he's, uh, you know, he's like this. Uh, his new next idea, next idea, and highly relationship oriented. Now, the secret there is, is twofold. One is try to help them get into a field that recognizes and builds on their strong energies. Mm -hmm. That's only strong part of the energies. equation. Strong I like energies. that phrase, yeah. And the other thing is that recognize that they've got to compensate for their weaker energies because life's a setup. You just can't go through life uh, with just being a creative person. We can't only do the things we're right. good at. That's why it's called work. That's right. These aren't hobbies. Yeah, and we need other, pe we, we need other people at work but in life, we need to be fully developed. So we need to be able to access these different energies for different problems. So you need to be able to think logically. You mm -hmm. need to be able to empathize. You need to be able to come up with creative ideas. And then you need to test and sort those ideas logically and analytically and then have the grounding power, the state power. Look, everybody in L.A. wants to write a book or be in a movie, mm -hmm. but there's real work that you've got to do, you've got to, grounding. Everyone's got a book in them. So relate that back to parenting though. So, back, so parenting so is. You really have is successful kids. You and recognize what, 
who they are. And you kind of sort of shape them in that direction. And then you help them develop their weaker energies. So, for example, my son, early on, developed an, an amazing ability to write. We got him a Mavis Bacon uh, typing thing. And he one day, Saturday morning, he's like, seven, Dad, I wrote this story. He, he was said, seven? He's just seven. He gives me this story that he'd written on his, uh, on his uh, uh, Macintosh computer. And, and I said, oh, that's a really nice story. It's five pages long. He printed it out. Seven on, years old. And uh, I said, that's a nice story. You copied that from uh, what Star Wars. Uh, he said, no, it's my story. And it was like, whoa. I mean, he has a creative, fertile mind. So we sent him to the Duke Young Writers. Uh, so you hit the accelerator on, on that, that creativity and right. writing. Exactly. But because he's highly creative, he needed the grounding. So actually, his pediatrician suggested to James... You ought to take up a sport. What's the sport you like, you know, you'll be willing to do? He said, oh, I like to swim. So he did swimming and water polo. Okay. And, uh, you know, my daughter was always the social one. She was always the one who solved everybody's problems. So when any... So ironically, lots of empathy, unlike her father. Well, no, no. James, the ironic thing is... James has the empathy, my son. But she's the problem she, solver. She's a problem solver because she learned the skill of, she's very observant hmm. and learned the skill of solving problems. Okay. So she would, she's going to give you tough love. So everybody, she was Mama Marissa. Anybody got in trouble with their parents, anybody needed a so ride. So it's kind of like you. you. You do some tough love sometimes and that's okay. Uh, yeah. I remember one time I thought I was going to write a book and I proudly... Um, <laughs> I Man, I, I, get, I had this outline that I went over with you on the phone, and man, I was so excited. And at the end, you're like, Adam, who's going to want to read that? It's just a story about you. It was like so humbling. And you're allowed to laugh, uh, Todd. It's, um, <laughs> but that was appropriate, tough love. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do actually oh my remember gosh. that. I remember we did work a little bit on a book. And, yeah. And this is the nature of writing and following through. I, I'm... If I commit to a project, I'm going to do it. In fact, I put it out there to the universe. So the universe, I it's like an accountability. Do it and, yeah. and it's pure accountability. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> There's really something to that. Uh, if you publicly uh, proclaim something, then you've got to really work. Now, <clears throat> uh, creative people need a deadline. Hmm. Without a deadline, without a timeline, a creative person will just have more ideas. That's true. I actually like... When I would have a race date on a calendar, so I'm going to run a 10K or mm -hmm. a couple times I've run marathons in my life. It's, you know that day's coming. You can't like cram at the last minute for it. So you got to do things along the way to achieve whatever the goal is on that deadline. Yeah. And it's, it's that way with creative projects. I mean, without a timeline. Like line. a book. Like yeah. you have no book police. No. You just got to put your own policing into yes. effect and my book could come out in 2022 2023 so you have a new book coming out actually yeah. let's let's wrap up with that uh it's about uh, well tell us what it's feed about. your skin right okay uh, so it's for everybody not just for physicians this is for everyone this is a consumer book i i alternate i write for consumers then i write for professionals in the healthcare space but this is really the my distillation uh coming from the integrative field the aesthetic field and the personalized nutrition field that no one else has skin like you mm. your skin is unique so what are we going to do now okay look we all need sunblock 
maybe some, a retinoid. Everything else we smear on our face basically is a moisturizer for protection mm. uh, and, and hydration. Beyond that, I mean, if you stop and think about it, right now as you sit here, one-eighth of your blood flow is going through your skin. That means whatever... One-eighth of one my blood flow is going through my whoosh, skin. Whoosh, going through your skin. Huh. So as you sit here, the nutrients that you have taken in, the vitamins, the minerals, the nutrients that are being created by the bacteria in your gut, the neurotransmitters that are being created in your gut are going into your bloodstream, affecting your skin. So you want to build skin health and beauty from the inside out hmm. in addition to the outside in. So this concept, I think, is one that really resonates with a lot of people right now uh, because if you think, you know, if you look at Amazon, <clears throat> what drives product sales on Amazon? There's pain, there's fear, and there's vanity. And, you know, we either, uh, we're in physical pain and we want relief. We're afraid that we're going to get a condition or, uh, uh, or we want to look and feel our best. Mm -hmm. And the studies that I've, uh, I've seen, it's not just older people. This is getting younger and younger and younger. Caring about their Caring skin about health. Caring about their skin health, their, their physical fitness, mm -hmm. how they look. Um, so we're seeing this now. And I, I think this is a, an area in which I can make a contribution because I've been studying this for a long time. And here's the challenge. The challenge it fit is your fit and fun <laughs> and finance model, hopefully. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll figure out the finance model when we start selling the book. There you go. Right. And I, I think I have a contribution to make in this area. Yeah, I think you do too. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, I'm sure you got another book plan already. I mean, you're unbelievable yeah, I, with your writing. I do one every three years, basically. And, and, and a lot of ways, you know, some people just write their one book and keep riding that one horse. And for me, <laughs> I find such joy in the process of creation that it, after I've written the book and given 100 talks on it, it's like, okay, let's do another one. And, and I, I start looking for where can I pull ideas from to begin to synthesize it? And then I, I test it out. I, I test a lot of these ideas. How do you test it? Like just a posting on LinkedIn or something? I, I or will do some of that. A comment in a speech. Social media. Yeah, see what uh, I will, resonates with people. Yeah, I will, I will uh, in a speech or a talk, give a little segue into something and see what resonates. For see, people who feel like, Mark, they have a, a book in them or a newsletter or any kind of content, like what's the best practice for sitting down and doing the work and writing. I remember one time I had this ambitious plan to come out and start my book and I was doing it at your house in your gorgeous backyard and I was gonna spend four days. <laughs> but I didn't tell the world that I was off writing. So like the regular work continued and I just reacted to everyone else's emails and I got nowhere. Yeah. So that was not a good discipline for writing and getting ahead. So is there some tricks of the trade 11 books later that you yeah, learned? Yeah, I think there's a few. Uh, one is to set a time and a place and, and have it be sacrosanct. So I did time yeah. and place, but I didn't make it. Yeah, you've got to just block that off and, and, and just, you know, I, I do the early morning uh, when no one can disturb me. I, if I'm writing, I'll get up at 4.30, 4 o'clock, and I'll spend those first you know, after a couple of cups of coffee, mm -hmm. uh, I'll spend those first hours writing. The other thing is that you, I teach people to just diarrhea. I mean, I 
use the phrase, just get the words out. Don't think that you've got to have the outline of the book rigidly done, everything out like, just start writing. Just start writing ideas, Just start writing ideas. ideas. When the ideas come to you, just, now, or you can dictate. There are some people who can dictate very well. Uh, there are physicians, for example, who give patients instructions all day long, mm -hmm. and they could dictate a lot of that. Uh, I can't, I have, I'm a fast typist. I like to see the words appear, and I, so I, I can type as fast as I can speak. Mm -hmm. uh, so. There's that, and um, and then get shape your synthesis up. Walk on the beach. You know, let the ideas percolate. Um, start finding little snippets, and just you know accumulate the little snippets. So throughout the day, you might have an additional idea, even though you're like writing time is over, but you're out doing something else, or in your car, or right. talking to somebody. Yeah. And then you chronicle that idea yeah. somewhere. I use Evernote. Uh, which I like Evernote. Maybe been, maybe you're the one who told me to get that. That is, it, it has been just a godsend for me. I mean, I clip things, I, I sort things. I think it's things. like $5 a month or something. <sighs> yeah, well, I, yeah it's, cheap. It's, it's cheap. You know, I, for the book, Feed Your Skin Right, I have a little file that everything is tagged F-Y-S-R. So, mm. uh, you know, if I can just go into Evernote, I can go F-Y-S-R and the microbiome. And do you have a date for policing your own uh, conclusion of when this book's going to yeah, be done? Yeah, it'll be out October 1st. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's I not mean, too... I'm, I'm about 40,000 words into it, which is about two-thirds. Mm. But uh, the process I also have to do is, is to get it reviewed. So I'm fortunate that I know some of the, the best clinicians in, in the world, the mm -hmm. best researchers. Mm -hmm. So I will subject my thesis to them, and uh, hopefully uh, they'll be kind and gentle. The problem is where do you stop? What's in the book? What's out of the book? Mm -hmm. How do you take a complex subject like the microbiome that, or genomics or epigenetics and sort of bring that down to actionable steps that a person can take mm -hmm. to become healthier or mm. better you know, have better skin. So that is always the challenge of taking complex subjects and bringing them down. I like to think that that's one of my skill sets that I've really developed because I'm not as smart as I used to be. Mm. Uh, there are, you know, that's debatable. We, I think learning have, is cumulative. We have neuroplasticity, yes, but I, yeah, I used to hold on to a lot more information just in, in my brain. But the point is that the ability to make the complicated simple and digestible. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that's something that that a uh, skill that you can hone in life, and it's important. Well, speaking of complexities and challenging ways to begin a book with so much potential information, it's also so challenging to cover so many topics in a short period of time that just goes so fast. So, Mark. I've loved our time together today. Thank you so much for doing this. And you have so many life lessons for others to learn. I hope they learn a little bit, like a small percentage of what I've learned from you. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Adam. This has been great. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the UpTube podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via your podcast platform of choice. You can also email Adam directly at Adam at uptofoundation.org and receive our newsletter, suggest speakers, and give your candid feedback. The Up To Podcast is produced by the BL Media Group right outside of the nation's capital in Northern Virginia. We'll see you next time.